as this morning, it's going to be a little bit heavy in the room because this is a subject matter that none of us really want to deal with. None of us really want to walk down this journey together of being broken to the place that you are in desperate need of someone else. But I can tell you in this room that I know a lot of you have been there over the last few years even. That there is a heaviness and just a weight that's been on you. And a brokenness that has really sort of defined your life over the last few years. And you're wondering where to turn to. And so we have vices in this world that we turn to. I just talked to some people this week that they're in dark times. And I sat and counseled with them. And they've turned to different vices to help them through their brokenness. And I challenged him with the thought, why have you not turned to Jesus? The very one who said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we're going to see as we take a look at David, as he enters into the arena with Goliath, that chapter 16, I told you guys, is a huge, 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 huge chapter to understand chapter 17. We tend to focus on chapter 17 with David and Goliath, but we forget about chapter 16. And this morning, I really want to just cover chapter 16 with you guys as we take a look at how David was broken before he ever went into battle. And this morning, if you've got a giant in front of you, and I don't know what your giant is, but I'm sure every one of us in this room has at least one giant in front of us. The world will tell you this, to go in in your own strength, and God is saying something completely opposite. God is saying you come in in weakness, you come in in dependency, you come in with leaning and pressing into me, and that's where you'll find your strength. And yet the world will tell you the complete opposite right now. That you're good enough, you're big enough, you're strong enough. You've got this. You've got this in the bag. You, no problem. You go on your own strength, and God is saying you will ultimately fail as you do that. But if you will be broken and lean in and press into me, there is strength waiting for you there. And so, guys, this morning, we just want to dive into this. We want to head into this journey. If you've got your Bibles, you can go to 1 Samuel 16. It's where we're going to rest today. It's where we're going to hide out today. It's where we're going to see some things maybe we've never seen out of David before. And for me, honestly, this week, as I studied, um, there are things about David I did not know. Uh, it sort of excited my heart to know some of this stuff, that it makes sense now as I read about David. It makes sense of what's really going on in his life, and that's where we're going to be this morning. But let's pray as we dive in. So, Father, we come to you right now, and thank you for just that reminder here a few minutes ago. That, Father, in our brokenness and in, in our weakness, that's where you say you are strong. And, Father, I know I have a hard time believing that a lot of times. As a guy, I have been taught that my strength is what matters, and... Father, you say it's your strength. So I pray that, Lord, you would guide us and lead us into the next few moments as we open up your word, that, Lord, you might speak to us. And that those in this room who are broken right now, I pray that, Father, they would find that you are sufficient and you are good. For those who think that they are strong, Father, I pray that you would give them warning that 
it will fail. It will collapse. And that, Father, you do this thing called brokenness for our own good. And so, Father, we ask that you would lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you have giants in your lives right now? Anybody have a giant in your life? Come on. Anybody have a giant in your life? I'm discovering I have giants that are awaiting me this last week. Uh, as I counseled and as I sat with people, I heard a lot of giants in people's paths this week. There is pain and there is brokenness. And there are giants that seem insurmountable. And I got news for them and I tell them this and I will tell you this. If you got your notes, you can fill this in. Nothing's going to change until you are broken. Brokenness is the gateway to defeating your giants. Brokenness is the gateway to defeating your giants. And I know that sounds completely opposite of what you have been taught. Now, as we have a Goliath in our path, we are taught that we go in our own strength. And God is going to teach us through David that brokenness is the road to take. I got thinking about this whole concept of brokenness, and it actually led me to think about horses. Now, I'm not trying to compare you to a horse, but I think there are some similarities here. If anybody, anybody owned a horse before? Anybody owned a horse before? Yes. Anybody ever uh, had to try to break a horse before? Yes. Some of you have tried to break a horse before. I want to show a video here of the Outback. On our own devices, we are what? We are wild stallions. We are people who want to do our own deal. And sometimes God's got to break us. Did you hear that? That he was the prideful one. He was the one who thought he had it all together. That horse did. And he said what? We got to break him to learn to what? Trust us. We're going to see here David, he is the wild one. And God is going to break him early on in his days so that he might trust God. So as he heads to the battlefront with Goliath, that he might be trusting in God. The battle belongs to the Lord, not you, David. And so he will break him. I love A.W. Tozer. This is a quote I heard early on in college. I love this quote. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has wounded him deeply. Has God wounded you deeply? Has he taken that wildness out of you so that you might trust in him? And for some of us, it has not happened yet. We still trust ourselves. We still trust what the world has given us, and we have missed out. And God is saying, I must wound you deeply so that I can bless you greatly. Andy McQuitty in The Way to Be Brave, I told you this book has meant a lot to me as I've been going through this series, David's pride was broken early and his resulting humble desire that God get all the glory gave him confidence that even though he had to face Goliath, it was really just him facing Goliath on God's behalf. Knowing he was weak, but God was strong, made David brave. I think sometimes we've miscalculated things. Maybe sometimes we have thought that we are the ones who make ourselves brave, brave, and yet God is saying this, that the more you know him, the more you trust him, the braver you actually get. 
So let's go 1 Samuel 16. Let's read about David. I want to start in verse 8. Let me set up the scene again if you weren't with us or if you've forgotten. Let me set up the scene. Saul, the king, has been dethroned. God has said, you will not be king any longer. And so he sends his prophet Samuel to Jesse's house. And Jesse has eight boys. And he will pick a king amongst those eight boys. And we're going to see that the one that gets chosen is not the one everyone thought. Then Jesse called Let's go. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. But he is tending to the sheep. He's on the back fields. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. We laugh about this. Thank you, Becky Mignani. But think of the Jonas brothers, okay? That's what our life group determined on this one. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Verse 14, we looked at this last week. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendants said to him, see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. And one of his servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son, to Saul, son David to Saul. And Saul or David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much. And David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. And whenever the Spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. Then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. What I want to do with this passage this morning is show you how God broke David early on. Before we get to chapter 17, before we get to him facing Goliath, David had to be broken before God so God could use him at the battlefront. Let me give you three things this morning I want to really take a look at from this passage that we need brokenness from. The first is David was broken by his circumstances. David was broken by his circumstances. Have you ever wondered why David was on the backfield while all of his brothers were in the house? Samuel comes to the house and he says to Jesse, I am going to pick a king from your sons today. And he has all the sons pass front and he says what? There is still one remaining. Where is he? Where is he? He's out tending the sheep. Anybody find that odd? 
Why is David not with the other sons? Let me give you why. According to Jewish history, if you go in and dive a little deeper into David's past, David actually was an illegitimate son. Jewish history teaches this, that Jesse actually grabbed a prostitute and had David threw a prostitute. And in those days, what happens as you go out and you find a prostitute and you, she conceives and has a son, what happens to the child? He's illegitimate. He's a nobody. Which actually makes sense if you think about it. Why is he on the backfields while everybody else is in the house and everybody else is lining up down the line to say which one of these sons is going to be king? And yet David is nowhere to be found because David had no right inside of the home because David was an illegitimate child. Psalm 51. I want you to think about this verse in two different ways. Psalm 51 is after David has an affair with Bathsheba. Some of you know that story. And he writes the psalm as he has been found out in the midst of his sin. And it is a heavy, heavy, heavy psalm. But he gets to verse 5 and he says this, Surely I was sinful at birth. Listen to this, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now some scholars say it this way. This points to the doctrine of what? Sin nature inside of you. That you are born with sin inside of you. Every one of us is born with a sinful nature. But some scholars say this, David writes this for a second piece. It's because David knows that he is the illegitimate son who is born out of sin. And he says, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Because David knew the circumstances in which he was born. And so this led David to the backfields rather than to the dining room with all the other boys. Also notice this. We talked about this in our life group. It was a great point. It It was fascinating discussion actually. Notice here in chapter 16 it says as he's going through and he says God does not look at outer appearance but looks at what? The heart. It's a famous verse, right? We, that's why we dress down at church, right? Come on. Don't we use that verse? We don't wear suit and tie, and we say, well, God looks at the outer appearance, or God doesn't look at the outer appearance, he looks at the heart, right? Come on. I'm in blue jeans right now as a pastor. I never did this before I got here, right? And the first week I was here, somebody was like, God does not look at the outer appearance, he looks at the heart, Chris. I'm like, okay, I'll wear blue jeans, all right? And I get the look when I see other pastors in the area at lunch, Okay. But it says here that in verse 12, it says that David was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. And our group was like, wait, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out, Chris, let's talk about this. If he doesn't look at outer appearance but looks at the heart, why does he even define why he is ruddy and handsome and good looking in appearance? Why does it do that? I said context, guys. Context. What's the context of this passage? Samuel's come looking for a king. 
Becky Minani, I will forever be indebted to you for this example. She says, like, David's like one of the Jonas brothers. Anybody know who the Jonas brothers? I should have had a picture of Jonas brothers. Young and handsome, right? But as a king, you don't want a young and handsome guy. You want a guy who is rugged, chiseled, and tall. You want four, right? Come on, you want four. You don't want the Jonas Brothers. You want four. And all the ladies in the room went, yes, we do, right? (laughs) Yes. And yet it says here that what? David is still handsome. He's ruddy. Think about it this way. He's the next homecoming king. How many, okay, students, when was homecoming? When was homecoming? Was homecoming here recently? I know you in Ohio they do homecoming twice from my understanding, right? Twice. Football and basketball season, homecoming king. And what, a, come on, when you were in high school, for those of you who are older, who got chosen as the homecoming king? The athlete. And our, our school was the athlete who was what? All the girls swooned over. I can, name, I can name the three in our class. It was always between the three guys. And they're all athletes. They were ruddy. They were handsome, right? And on top of that, he's not only the homecoming king, but he's also Bon Jovi that we see, right? The dude goes and he plays a harp. And so we're like, oh, that's weak. No. Think Anthony this morning, right? Electric guitar. Hair flowing. That's Shuggy Anthony. <laughs> but my first thought was this. You know, he's homecoming king, but he's also like Bon Jovi, right? Where all the girls swooned in the 80s and 90s over Bon Jovi. And some of you are still there. <laughs> and so in this moment, he's ready. He's good looking. And David had every right to get a big head. And yet he doesn't get a big head because he knows where he came from. He came from what? He came from sin. He came as an illegitimate son. And so in this moment, he knows his background. He knows what's happened to him. And so although he could say, man, I am ruddy, I'm good looking, I could be a king, he's also saying this, but I was born as an illegitimate son. I have nothing. I am very honored to even be called into the dining room. Do you all get this? David would not have eaten with the family. When dinner bell rang, all the boys and the two girls would have walked into the room and they would have eaten with their parents, but David is still in the backfields because he is the illegitimate son. He had no right inside of that home. And so God's going to break him. Although he is handsome and ruddy, God is going to break him from his past. I know for some of you in this room, your past are dark. Like when I talked about illegitimate son or daughter, you went back to your childhood. You weren't mom and dad's favorite. They let your sibling do all the things that you wish you could have done. For some of you, when we talk about the sin of your past, you're talking about the illegitimate son. You were like, yeah, I got pregnant when I was in high school. And now the dude has nowhere to be seen. For some of you, you have a long list of violations with the law. 
You are the illegitimate son, so to say. Still others of you, it's your business venture. It's your, your business venture you thought would take off, and so you went for it, and you went for it with all money in, and guess what happened? The business failed. You've been broken by your past. For some of you, it's your divorce. Come on, guys. Let's be real in the room. It's church. We can be real, right? There's pain in this room from divorce. And you look at all the other married couples and your heart just sinks. And maybe it wasn't your sin per se. Maybe it was your spouse's sin. For some of you I know in this room, you've been cheated on in your marriage. Your spouse had an affair. For some of you still, it's your child right now. Your child has been a thorn in the flesh for you. They're the rebellious one. And you at times just sit in a chair and you just cry yourself to sleep because your child has gone off. I was just talking to somebody the other day about their child is now a heroin addict. And they just looked at me and said, you know how broken that makes me, that my child has run off. And the only time we see them is when they are strung out and they need something. And yet I would ask you this, what if God is there right in your midst and he is allowing the circumstances to break you to do something greater in your life you could ever imagine? I was reading Lisa Turkhurst's new book. I told you Lisa Turkhurst, I said a few weeks back, she has gone through three major ordeals in her life in two years. Her husband cheated on her. And she's in charge of a huge, huge parachurch ministry. Her husband cheated on her. She found out she had breast cancer. And the third one she talked about in chapter I read this weekend was this. She got diagnosed with a life-threatening illness that took out half of her colon. And she said this. She said, it was, we got back from vacation, and the day after, she goes, I had a great vacation. The day after, all of a sudden, severe pain started in my lower abdomen area. And she said, the pain was so intense I just cried out to God, just let me die. Anybody ever been there before with pain? She goes, my husband, at the time, they were back, rushed me to the hospital. They began to do tests, and the doctor came in and said, Lisa, if we don't get you under the knife in the next hour, you will die. They performed the surgery, took out half of her colon, said, you'll probably never be the same again. But a few weeks later, she's recovering. The doctor called her and said, Lisa, I got to tell you something. She goes, he said, your body should have eaten itself alive over the last 24 hours before you came in. 
And for Lisa, she said, I had been begging God to take away the pain. Take away the pain. Take away the pain. God, would you relieve the pain? Take away the pain. And she said, after the doctor said that to me, I realized God and his grace and his mercy did not take away the pain. Because if the pain would have been gone, I would never realize my body was eating itself alive. And it hit me. There are times in our lives, guys, that God does not take away the pain because there is something deeper within that he has to accomplish. Paul David Tripp, I'm reading his devotional, New Morning Mercies, and he talks about this. I love this. It's one of my favorite quotes or favorite ideas from Paul David Tripp. He talks about uncomfortable grace. We all want the grace of relief and release. God, would you take away this? Would you relieve me of this? Would you release me from this? God, would you do that? And sometimes God in his grace does that, but he makes a point. He said, but sometimes God and his grace actually gives you uncomfortable grace. And he said, what's uncomfortable grace? It's when God leaves you in the midst of your pain because there is something deeper within you that he wants to transform, and he calls it transformational grace. Like, we want release because we're Americans, right? And we don't want any pain. We don't want any suffering. And yet sometimes God leaves us so he can break us from the inside because there is something God is doing at the depths of us that needs to be changed. Look at what Andy McQuitty says here. When David was broken early in his life, he established the pattern of turning, not away from God in bitter hatred, but toward God in humble trust. One clue to this reality is found in God's words about David, their king. God knew David was a man after his own heart because brokenness had made him obedient. That's the new heart the gospel promises. Having broken us, he wants to make us beautiful. But God first must break us. The second thing we see is he is broken by others. David is broken by others. Not only circumstances, but he's broken by others. I talked to a friend recently who said that they've come under attack from other people. This has gone public. How does it go public, folks? Social media. And my friends said this to me. They said, at first it was painstaking, but here's the reality. They said, Since it's happened, it has drawn me closer to Jesus. My time with Jesus has become what? More beautiful. My time with Jesus has become more frequent. And it got me thinking, sometimes we are broken by others and what others say and what others do, and yet it is leading us to what? It is leading us into Christ, not away from Christ. It is learning us to, for us to trust Christ, not away from Christ. Look at what David says in Psalm 69. This is a beautiful psalm. David writes this, and he says, Save me, O God, from the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The flood engulfs me. I am worn out calling for help. Anybody been, everybody been ever there before where you are so tired of calling for help? Like, God, just help me. God, just help me. Please help me. Please help me. Anybody ever been there before? You just wear yourself out. I love this about Dave. He's honest. He's like, God, I've been calling out to you. Help me. My throat is parched. I've been calling so much. My eyes fail looking for my God, and it continues on, those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Some of you are like, I don't have much there, but yes, I get that, right? 
Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. I am forced to restore what I did not steal. And then this verse just catches me. I never thought about this before, but he says this in verse 7 through 9. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. He says, I am a foreigner to my own what? Family. What's David going through, guys? He's an illegitimate son. And he goes, my own family. I am a foreigner. I am a nobody. A stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. David is going through a time where he is being broken by the people around him. He is being broken by his own family. We'll see it in chapter 17. He comes to the battlefront, and what do his brothers do? Come on, what do his brothers do in chapter 17? What do they do? Why are you here? Hey, little boy, go back. You don't belong down here at the battlefront. You're a nobody. Go back to where you came from. And for some of you, you know it, you're there. Your family won't even speak to you right now. Your friends have disowned you. Your coworkers, they dog you at work. And the pain is there. And I know what you're going to say. Here's what some of us do, because we're some of us guys in the room. Their opinion doesn't matter. And as truthful as that is, there is still pain within us, isn't there? What do we tell our kids? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Yeah. It's a lie. It's a lie. And you can put up a tough front all day long. You can put on your chiseled face and tell me, dude, it doesn't affect me. But there is pain on the inside because your parents told you you were a loser as a kid. And you still replay that in your mind. For some of you, you're still living for daddy's approval. Because you could never get it because your dad dogged you as a kid. And you can still hear that voice. But I love this about David. God's going to use the insults of the people around him to do what? To drive him further and to trust God. See, it's on the backfields because he's an illegitimate son and his family is dogging him. It's on the backfields that he's going to come to know his God. And he's going to put his trust in God on the backfields. I'm afraid here, some of us in this room, guys, some of us in this room... You're trying to be something you never were meant to be. Some of you in this room, you use your spouse to be your savior. For some of us, we use our kids to be our worth. I saw it at a basketball game yesterday. With dads like going bonker, irate at kids. Because what? All of their worth is in their kid. And if their kid screws up, it makes them look like they are bad parents and bad coaches and bad people. We use our friendships to be our acceptance. We use our bosses to be our measuring stick in life. Guys, we use others to be only what God was meant to be. Recently, I was using my wife to be my joy and my approval. My wife lovingly called me out on it. Guys, it broke me. Like when she called me out on it, lovingly, she just called me out. She's like, you are using me to be your savior. 
and I am going to fail. In that moment, just like God, the Spirit of God just broke me. Like, you know what? You're right, Chris. Your wife was never meant to be your Savior. And over the coming days, guys, it led me back to what? Back to my knees to seek approval from the only approval that matters, and that's my God's. And for some of you, you, you know it. You are using others for your approval and your acceptance. And guys, they are going to fail you. They will. I see it in young people all the time. They think their spouse, I'm about to do a wedding, they, and it reminds me. They think their spouse is going to be their savior. And I'm like, they are going to jack things up week one. And where are you going to be left Because they are never meant to satisfy you. Never. In fact, I think that's what's wrong with marriage today for young people. And maybe even some of us. I was on the car ride here and I was just thinking about marriage. And I'm like, here's the problem. We go into marriage thinking our spouse is supposed to satisfy us. Which they can't. And we put impossible weight on the other person. What if we went into marriage, guys, differently as Christians? What if we went in thinking, how can I serve you? How do I serve you? I know for me, I go in, I think, what can Aaron do for me? And then when Aaron doesn't live up to it, what happens? We crumble. What if the flip was supposed to happen? What if I was going into the marriage to serve Aaron? Maybe God wants to break us of that. The last thing I just want to highlight here is this. We are broken by waiting. We are broken by our waiting. Have you ever had to wait on something that was promised to you? Okay, so we've watched it over the last, Aaron, what, two weeks? My daughter had her first sleepover last night. And maybe her last. And it was one of those things that for weeks she's been begging us to have her friend over. She's been begging. First time, begging. Second grade, first time. She's been begging. And so finally, she wore us out, and we did what? We let her have a friend over there. But I kept promising her, honey, the day I, I will let you have a friend over. And every week she would ask, like, not this week, not this week, not this week. Please help her to forget. Not this week, not this week. And every, okay. She got so bad the other day because she knew it might happen this weekend. Every two hours, Dad, can she come over? Dad, can she come over? Dad, have you thought about this? Dad, have you talked to Mom? Dad, have you talked to Mom? Dad, can she come over? Dad, can she come over? And I was just laughing because I'm like, the promise is here, but she's having to wait. This is David in this moment. What just happened? He got anointed with oil that he is going to be the king, and it should have happened right then, right now. Let's do this. And yet we see in the passage what happens. He has to wait. And I think, I'll be honest, I think God was just breaking him all the more because he had to wait on the promise that was coming. I think for David, he had to have been thinking, why can't we just do this now? Instead, God does what? He tells him, you're going to go to Saul and you're going to be Bon Jovi to him. You're going to be his harp player. 
Time out, God. I'm supposed to take over for this guy. And yet you're calling me to do what? Go be his servant? To go play the harp for him? Did you all notice this as well in this passage? David gets anointed king. And what, where does he go next? Come on, where does he go? Where does he go? Come on. Back to the sheep. Anybody notice that? He gets anointed king. You're going to be the king-elect. And here's why he goes, cool, see ya. I'm going back to my sheep. Because God was already in the habit of breaking him in the humility, saying, it's not about you, David. It's about me. It's about my kingdom, and I am breaking you. And now he's got to go to the guy who he's supposed to take over for and play harp for him and make soothe him so that the, what, the spirit will leave him. And I'm cracking up a guy because God does this to us a lot, right? Hey, I'm going to lead you into this, but you're going to have to wait a period, and I'm not even going to tell you when it's going to happen. You just got to cling to my promise and cling to my character because it's going to happen because I do not lie. I tell the truth. When it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But sometimes we get in that waiting game, and the waiting game breaks us. So let me ask you, what are you waiting for right now? What are you waiting for? Ladies, are you waiting for your husband to grow and to loving you better? I just had this this week in marriage counseling. And I just honestly, lovingly looked at two people this week. And I just like, they're like, I want my spouse to grow up. And I looked at them in the most loving way I could and say, I'm waiting for you to grow up too. I'm not always the best counselor. Because <laughs> here's what they did. I had people, like, they ranted about the other person, and I listened to the rant, and then I looked and go, hey, big boy, what about you? What, me? Me? Oh, you jacked this thing up, too. Oh, honey, you want to you, you rant about your husband? Oh, wait, 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 time out. You were part of the problem. Oh, me? Absolutely. And then in my most loving way I could, I just point out both of their flaws. <laughs> Let's do this. What are we waiting on? Let's go. I lovingly did it, but I'm just like, here's, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this, and you're this, you're this, you're this. Okay, welcome to marriage. How are we going to walk? How are we going to do this? Guys, are you waiting for your wife to quit nagging at you? Good luck on that one what, while you're waiting for that to happen. How are you treating her? Seriously, how are you treating her? Are you waiting for the promotion at work? You're weeks and two weeks, big boy. You're here. Are you waiting on the promotion? But it's not come yet? What if God's trying to break you in the middle of waiting for a promotion? Because he knows this, that when you become boss, you're going to be a jerk. God's looking for a humble man or humble woman who's going to walk in and treat the employees with respect and with honor and with love. Church, what are you waiting on? Maybe it's a season God is 
and the waiting, he's breaking you. And he's breaking you down that humility might come and pride might go what? Out the side door and that humility might reign in circumstance. Sometimes God breaks us in the midst of the waiting. Because I don't know where you are this morning, but I know this. This is a hard subject, is it not? It is. Like, this is heavy for me. Like, I feel weight even up here right now. There's weight. Because I know this. None of us like to be broken. None of us. And yet I'm reminded that some of us have to be broken because God is doing a greater work in you. God's desire is to conform you, conform you, conform you to the image of the Son. Conform you to Jesus Christ. And guys, he could give you all you want, but you would be prideful and egotistical and you would go into your Goliath thinking that you've got this or he can break you so that you might be broken and learn to trust him so that you walk into the battlefront, you go, the battle belongs to the Lord. It's his. And I will trust him. I'll trust him. Let's pray. So, Father, we come to you and we thank you for a word. I know this is heavy. I know this is deep. I know this is hard. I know none of us, none of us like to be broken. And yet, Father, in your grace, sometimes you break us. And I believe that sometimes you do it because you know there is a giant that is coming our way. And you are trying to break us to trust you as we head into the battlefront. Still others of us right now, honestly, Lord, the giant right now is pride. (laughs) It's staring us in the face. It's pride. We are full of ourselves. We're arrogant. We think that we know best. We think that we know which way to go. We think that we know what needs to be done. And God, just in your grace, would you break us? Would you break us of all this pride and arrogance that's on the inside? Would you help us to serve one another? Would you help us to love each other? Would you help husbands and wives today, would they love each other well because they would be broken before you knowing that they have their own garbage in their own lives and they need help, desperate help from you? Would you, would you sweetly break us this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.